I want to ask you to go with me to one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi, chapter 3. Chapter 3, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. We're going to read this portion and then we'll reference back to it. So if you're reading out of your Bible, out of your phone app, don't put it too far away. We're going to jump right back into it. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 through 8, and then we're going to jump to 13 and 14. And just fitting is the beginning of verse 6 that says, I am the Lord. I do not change. That is why you, descendants of Jacob, are not already destroyed. How many of you guys know that if it was because of ourselves, we'd be destroyed already? But thankfully, he doesn't change. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we've never gone away? Verse 8 says, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? Where did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. Now let's hop over to verse 13. That says, you have said terrible things about me, says the Lord. But you say, what do you mean? What have we ever said against you? You have said, what's the use of serving God? What have we gained by obeying his commands or by trying to show the Lord of heaven's armies that we are sorry for our sins? Right where you are, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you because you're good and because you never change. Your goodness is everlasting. Your compassion, Lord, is strong as it has ever been today. We ask you, Lord, that you may draw near to us once again. Speak to our hearts. Prepare my, my mind and my heart, relying on you, Jesus. Prepare our hearts to receive your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may take your seats. One thing is true, and that's this, that people change. We change. Look, if you don't believe me, look to your right. Look to your left. That person that you knew is not the same person that you probably met. And when we hear that people change, men think, oh my goodness, is this the woman that I married? But at the same time, when we hear people change, women think, yes, that means there's still hope for this guy. Don't laugh too much, ladies. The fact is, like, ladies say, honey, sometimes I feel like you're not honest about who you are to others as she's removing her fake eyelashes, her skin foundation, her herricks. But we're not even going to talk about that. We're not even going to go into that. The fact is that people constantly change. You, You change your opinion on things. You mature. You no longer think the way that you used to think at one time. Your perspective change, the way you look at things, experience comes into your life. You, you start to be around people who are, who are able to offer you some insight. And the way that you think begins to change. The beauty of it is that we do change. I hope we can change. And become the people that the Lord wants us to be. Do you know anyone who seems like a completely different person depending on who they're with at that time? 
the way they act here and completely act completely different somewhere else. If you don't know anybody like that, it's probably you. We know that God doesn't change. But why is that? I mean, listen, have you changed your mind about something in the past? Think about it. I remember there's things when you were a kid that you would never eat that now it's part of your normal meal. Certain places you would go to that, that now you no longer go. You, you begin to change your mind. Why? You change your mind when you get new information. You get new insight about something that you didn't know. You receive new facts and it leads you to change your mind. You were young, no offense to young people, you were inexperienced, ignorant perhaps, so much so that you probably thought that LeBron James was the greatest player of all time. That's okay. None of us are perfect. But then you meet up with a much wiser, intelligent, well-informed, mature person who reminds you that LeBron will never be Michael Jordan. Is that true, Pastor Rusi? Just sometimes, and if you haven't reached that point, that's okay. There's still hope. You can mature. You're still young and inexperienced. You'll get there someday. I received a random text yesterday. And, and I'm, I'm not going to even mention the fact that in the third inning, the Diamondbacks were beating the Dodgers 9-0. It's all right, Pastor Rusi, I'm not even going to bring it up. I'm not going to mention it. He needs an escort out to the parking lot. Although I will say this, Pastor Rusi did text me and say that the pitcher named Chokeshaw was pitching yesterday. That's what he called him. That's not what I called him. His name's Kershaw, but since he choked yesterday, I guess he's officially changing his name. The point is, you cannot give God new information for him to change his mind. You can't tell him something he didn't already know. Not, you cannot provide him with the fresh new insight about your situation. Although sometimes we think we can. We explain to him how bad our situation is as if he doesn't already know. We try to explain to him that what I'm going through is different with the, than what somebody else is going through. You don't understand what I'm going through when he already knows. This is why he doesn't change. Because there's nothing he doesn't already know from the very beginning. And we can rest with this assurance and this confidence that if anything comes my way, I know that I know that God remains who he is. That he does not change. And in the scripture, the Lord says, I am the Lord and I do not change. I want to speak to you on the title, A Heart for the Unchanging God. A Heart for the Unchanging God. The book of Malachi is the final book of the 12 minor prophets and the final book of the Old Testament. Bear with me while I lay this foundation here for you. There's so much jam-packed in this, in this short book, a total of four chapters. In this book, God has given his people a fresh start. They had previously been exiled, but now they have returned to their homeland. The cities and the temple have been rebuilt. God used men like Ezra and Nehemiah and others the Lord called in that day. And he provided to them a brand new, fresh start. 
Will they be faithful this time around? This book shows that the people of God fall to some of the same old patterns. They allow other nations to influence them. And in their pride, they think that everything is okay. And through Malachi, the Lord strongly urges them to wake up to the condition and to change their ways before it is too late. The bottom line, even though God has not changed, their hearts have begun to stray away. And in our scriptures, the people, interestingly enough, ask God three questions. And we'll take a look at these questions and figure out what is the Lord trying to tell us. I don't know about you, but I want to have a heart for the unchanging God. Number one, six, seven of that chapter we read, it says, I am the Lord, I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. This is a, an example of mercy. That God, God does not give us what we deserve. I know you think that you're good and you got it all figured out, but the reality is that because of our sinful nature, we deserve to be destroyed. But God in his mercy has saw it fit to call us, to cleanse us, to purify us, and to infill us with his spirit simply because he's good. Verse 7, ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scored my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me. Here he is once again. Return to me. And I will return to you. I'm not going to push you away. But I will always take you back. But they ask this in return. How can we return when we've never gone away? I don't know if there's any parents of teenagers here. I know some teenagers do that. My teenagers don't do this, what I'm about to say. My teenagers are always so well behaved. They don't even know what talking back means. But you ever tell your teenager, I don't want you to do a certain thing. And they're like, what are you talking about? I've never, I've never done that. Like, okay, I just want you to start putting your laundry in the laundry basket. I always do that. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Uh, you walk in your living room, there's 10 pairs of shoes. Can you please put your shoes in the shoe closet? Those, I never leave my shoes. My shoes. I always know where my shoes belong. And I always put them there. It's, it's as if they're living on another planet sometimes. And, and this, is, this is a similar tone here. When the Lord says, return to me. He did, the Lord is not asking any questions here. He's not saying, did you stray away from me? He's saying, you have strayed away from me. But if you return to me, I'll gladly take you back. And the response is, what are you talking about? We never left. We've been here this whole time, Lord. What are you talking about? There must be something wrong with you. Because there's definitely nothing wrong with me. And this tone, and even though they've turned away from him, the Lord still says, come back and I'll take you back. And I'll restore you once again. And I'll put you back in your rightful place. The road of repentance is one that has to acknowledge that there has been something wrong with me. And so the first point is that I need a heart of repentance. 
to have a heart for the unchanging God, I need a heart of repentance. The road to repentance is much easier when we recognize the Lord's great mercy. When we recognize the Lord's great mercy. Here's the funny thing about mercy though. The only ones who can accept mercy are those who meet the qualifications. What are these you ask? I'm glad you asked. The only ones who qualify for the Lord's mercy are the broken, the sinners, those who make mistakes, those who stumble, those who don't always say the right thing, those who don't always have it all together, those who don't always think the right thing, they do the right thing, they don't always say the right thing, the ones who make mistakes, the ones that commit errors, the ones that just don't have it all together all the time. Those are the ones who qualify for mercy. And thankfully, I'm in that group that we don't have it all together. We don't have it all right all the time. But because I qualify for his mercy simply because I need it. See, we can easily point at someone and say, look, they need God's mercy. Just look at them. Yet we can't admit that without him, we are equally lost as the guy getting high under the freeway overpass this morning. For me to qualify for his mercy, I have to come to the confession and the admission that without him, I am lost, broken, abandoned, and miserable. But thankfully, his mercy has reached me. I have this heart of repentance towards an unchanging God. As long as we continue to act like nothing's wrong, like we have it all together, that we have it all figured out, we cannot access the mercy of God. This is, this is critical. As long as I keep acting and living this life like if I have it all together, I cannot access his mercy. Because the only ones that have access to his mercy are those who admit that we don't have it all together. That we need his mercy to survive day by day, week by week, month by month, and year by year. And I continue to change, but God never changes. If we can't admit our brokenness, we disqualify ourselves from the Lord's mercy. We disqualify ourselves from the Lord's mercy. Very quickly, look at the message that God had for the religious folk who thought they had it all together in Laodicea. In the book of Revelation. Look, it's not every day you hear a preacher reference the last book of the Old Testament and the last book of the New Testament. So here you go. Here's a full Bible study for you. Revelation 3.17 says, you say, I am rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing, and you don't realize that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. The people said, how can we return if we've never left? Not realizing that they were wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. If you go to any support group, any 12-step program, if you go to anybody that's going to try to help you out, the person directing you will always ask you one thing. Are you ready to admit you have a problem? Step one. Are you ready to admit you have a problem? And this is the same thing. The heart of repentance is recognizing. is recognizing two things. One, that God is good 
and he is the pursuer of a relationship with us. He's the one that's coming down to pull us out of this miserable position that we're in. Because of his love for you, he continues and continues to chase you down. That's the first side of it. The second part is, I need his mercy. Religious folk distance themselves from his mercy by behaving as if we have it all together. But Lord, give us a heart of repentance. A heart of repentance. That brings me to point number two. That we need to have a heart of worship. We need to have a heart of worship. Go to verse 8 with me in that same chapter. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings that are due to me. All right, friends, calm down. I'm not going to talk to you about paying your tithes or giving your offering. I'll leave that for a pastor to preach about another day. So, right, you can take your hand off your wallet. You were getting a little defensive there. They weren't stealing from God simply in the form of tithes and offerings. From a monetary standpoint, if you will. It wasn't a lack of money. But it was a lack of worship. Because how many of you know that before you give, you have to have a heart of worship. As a matter of fact, the act of giving is an act of worship. They did not lack money. What they lacked was a heart of worship. Simply hearing the words of the people, you know their hearts are far from the Lord. Worship is not only what you say or what you do, but rather the condition of your heart. It's the condition of your heart. Somebody put it this way. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 15, 8. He said this. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's a heart problem, not a wallet problem. And here the Lord is talking to them about their tithes and their offerings. But not necessarily because God needs. God does not need your money. That may be a revelation for someone. He does not need your wallet. He does not need your money. In heaven the streets are made with gold. He doesn't need our money. What he's asking you is not your money but a heart of worship. Can you give him what he's worthy of? And the least we could do is give him our tithes and our offerings because of everything he has already done for me. It's funny when we think about this because when you're back, with, back in the day, back in the day when you're hanging out at the club, back in the day when you're hanging out with your friends on the street, what percentage did you give to the world? Everything. You'd get paid on Friday. You'd be gone Friday night. They wouldn't see you till Sunday night. You'd be partying all day and you'd come back broke. And now we struggle like, I can't believe the Lord wants 10%. The Lord doesn't necessarily want your 10%. What he wants is your heart. 
And when he has your heart, you won't only say, here's my 10%. You say, Jesus, everything belongs to you. Everything I am belongs to you. My house belongs to you. My wife belongs to you. My kids belong to you. My family belongs to you. Everything I have belongs to you. Everything I have belongs to you. He doesn't want a part of you, but he wants all of you. It's a heart of worship that the Lord is seeking. When we give ourselves completely to him, this is true worship. When we give ourselves completely to him, this is true worship. Look at Romans chapter 12 verse 1 what Paul says. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, because of his mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He doesn't want a part of you, but he wants all of you. This is the proper worship in view of his mercy. Is it okay to still talk about his mercy? Or, or have we become too churchified to remember the cross? The cross, you might say, that's for elementary. That's for the new, new believer. That's for the person who's just beginning. I have some news for you. The cross and the blood is for me every single day. I'm not going to wait for an Easter Sunday to celebrate his resurrection. But I celebrate it every single day. I'm thankful for the blood. I'm thankful for the cross. I'm thankful for the sacrifice. I'm thankful for his mercy every single day. I need his mercy. And because when I recognize that all I can do, the rightful thing, the reasonable thing is to have a heart of worship. A heart of worship. I don't want to offend you, but did you know you can sing the entire song we sang today and still not be able to worship? It's not just singing it. It's, it's giving it your all to the Lord every single moment of every single day. You can be at this altar as quiet as ever, but surrendering your heart to the Lord. And God calls that worship. We think we know when we see a person, oh, that person sees, looks like they're worshiping the Lord. And it's like, that person's heart is far from me. And we see someone else who might be quiet, more reserved, more introverted, more, more keeping to themselves. And you think, wow, I just wish that person would worship the Lord someday. And the Lord says, that's the person, I, I have their heart. I have their heart. The Lord told through the prophet Samuel when they were trying to choose the next king. He said, you guys look at the outside. You guys look at man's appearance. You guys think you have someone figured out by how they look, by how they walk, how they talk. They can quote scripture here and there like, oh, that person's spiritual. The Lord says, I don't do that. I, I look at the heart. I look at the heart. And today I want us to have a heart of worship to the Lord. It's one thing to have a heart of praise, which is great. 
is great. When you praise the Lord, you praise the Lord when he gives you that promotion. You praise the Lord when you get that raise. You praise the Lord when you get that car that you wanted to have. You praise him for every time you get something that you really wanted. You praise him for the things that God does. But in worship, you worship him for who he is. What does that mean? To me, to me worship is always a much more intimate practice than this praise. Not knocking praise, praise. You have to. You have to praise. But when you worship, you're able to call on God's faithfulness in the middle of your storm. When your prayer doesn't get answered, and yet you bow your knee and acknowledge His greatness, that is worship. When things are not going your way, when it would be easy to have the perfect excuse to get away and not be amongst the brethren anymore. But yet you continue to come here and you continue to seek his face. Even when everything is in turmoil in your life, that is what God calls worship. That you give him what he's due no matter what the circumstance is. In good times, I worship him. In bad times, I worship him. When I don't get the answer, I worship him. When I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death, I continue to worship him. No matter what I go through, I continue to worship the Lord. Give us, Lord, a heart of worship. It's a heart of worship. God offers us his mercy he never changes. He never changes. Are you thankful for that? So people can be finicky. You bring something to someone. I remember when we were kids, I have a brother who used to be a picky eater. Actually, he's still a picky eater now that I think about it. 40 years later, that dude's still picky. My sister Lily, who's here, she probably already knows what I'm talking about. Well, let me, let me give, her, give her some credit. I'm one of 12 siblings. So the fact that she already knows what I'm talking about, that tells you something. But when we were kids, she would come and say, Mom, I don't like the pot-cooked beans. In Spanish, they call them caldudos, right? Caldudos. So they have all this, the stew with the soup in them too, still. He's like, I don't like those beans. Well, I'm like, okay. So she'd go and she'd refry them and she'd mash them up. And, and then she'd bring them back and he'd be like, I don't know, I like mashed up beans. <laughs> I like them caldudos with the soup in it. How mom didn't lose Holy Ghost right there, I don't even know. Parents, you ever get that feeling you just want to get the table and you want to? <laughs> what is it? Do you like them or do you not like them? Here, you, you really like this food, mijo. You said, I want chicken nuggets. <sighs> I remember when years back, years back, we went, I took the, the family. I like, dude, we're going to treat you guys to a nice steak dinner. We went to a steakhouse. We're going to have some good meals here. And sure enough, Waitress gets to one of my kids, so I'm not going to point out, what kind of steak would you like? Can I have chicken fingers? <laughs> You're kidding me. You're at a steakhouse, and you want to order chicken fingers. It's the most expensive chicken fingers I've ever paid for in my life. You go to a steakhouse, what do you get? You get steak. But the interesting thing is, 
when we come to the house of God, we come here to receive healing, to receive his mercy, to receive his grace, for peace of mind, for an answer to a prayer. We come here for that. And you can receive that here in this house. The, the heartbreaking thing, as Pastor Ruth alluded to earlier, is when you come in one way and you leave the same way you came. If you come to this house, come and enjoy the entire menu of what the Lord has in store for you. Come to the altar and receive what the Lord has for you this day. At the end of the day, he's the one pursuing you. At the end of the day, he's the one that's been chasing you down. He's the one that's been tracking you down to bring you to his house once and for all. Remember one said, like, when, you know, when I finally gave my life to the Lord, or when I finally found the Lord, someone said once, when I finally found the Lord, my life changed. I, said, I don't remember the Lord ever being lost. How can you find Jesus if he's never been lost? We have been lost, and he found me. I was gone. I was lost in my trespass. I was forsaken in my sin, but God, he came and he reached down. He reached down from heaven to this filthy earth to take me up and give me a new life. That causes me to have a heart of worship. If that doesn't make you worship, I don't know what will. Recognizing his mercy for me, forces me, guides me to have a heart of worship for the Lord. I want to worship him all the days of my life. I want to serve him all the days of my life. Regardless of what I go through, I got to, I got to have a heart of worship. A heart of worship. Even in the difficult times. Worship is what allows you to sing a song in the middle of a prison cell. Worship is what allows you to sing a song in the middle of your prison cell. I won't take you there right now, but in the book of Acts in chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in prison. And it, sometimes we, we put our own perspective into, this, into the word. We can't think of a, an Americanized prison here. It's not one where you get your three meals a day and you get to have art class and weight training and you get to surf the web here and there and update your status on Instagram and Facebook. I don't know how they do that. I don't know. I have a couple of friends who are in, in prison and I see their status update. I'm like, I mean, I don't want to be cold and cruel, but like, what are you going to update? Still here. New day, same old me, still here. But Paul and Silas are in this prison. But the word of God says this, that they weren't just in the prison cell. They were in the deepest, darkest pit of a cell. There's no, there's no light switches in there. It's, it's probably muggy. It's probably water. There's, it's probably rats running around everywhere. The smell, I can't even imagine the smell. And this is after they had received the 39 lashes. They were whipped. They were whipped and thrown all because they were preaching the word of God. See, sometimes we go through things in life. And sometimes we have these struggles. And, but we're, if we're honest, some of our struggles are caused by yours truly. 
Like, oh, the devil's taking me through this. And like, no, no, you just spent too much money on in and out all over again. Like, the, the devil's attacking my finances. No, the restaurants are attacking your finances. And the, Lord, the devil's attacking my health. No, it's those restaurants that you chose to eat at. This is a whole other topic. We won't even go there. But here, they're in this prison cell, not because they made a wrong decision, but because they chose to make the right decision. And when you go through these things in life, when you didn't cause it, you didn't make a decision that made you be there, and you don't understand, and you look at the Lord like, why? Why is this happening? And Paul and Silas are there after continuing to serve the Lord. They could have easily been there bitter saying, God, we're preaching your word. The least you could do is stop them from whooping us. The least you could do is we're going to go in prison. At least be the one outside that gets some sunshine every now and again. But here we are getting whipped and getting thrown to the depths of the dark cell. But there in that dark cell, where no one can see what's even next to them, and they're chained, and all you hear is the sound of the chains every time that they move. In that condition, you begin to hear a song. And I can imagine them begin to sing a song and maybe even start using the chains as a rhythm. I'll keep the beat, Silas. Silas says, I'll keep the beat. You sing the song. And they begin to sing a song. They can't see anything around them. They're in darkness and they're singing a song. I don't know how long we're going to be in here, but I'm singing this song. I don't know how God's going to get us out of this, but I'm singing this song. I don't know if I'm going to be here for a day, a week, or a month, but I'm singing this song. And no matter what I'm going through, I'm singing this song. No matter what you're going through, you continue to sing your song. I don't know how long you're going to be there, but continue to sing your song. God, give me a heart of worship today. A heart that can worship you in the middle of my prison cell. I need to have a heart of worship. Take me to point number three. To have a heart for this unchanging God. I have to have a heart of repentance. I have to have a heart of worship. But I also have to have a heart of gratitude. It says, you have said terrible things about me. Says the Lord, but you say, what do you mean? What have I, we said against you? Verse 14, you have said, what's the use of serving God? What have we gained by obeying his commands or by trying to show the Lord of heaven's armies that we're sorry for our sins? The people had a, what have you done for me lately type of attitude. What have you done for me lately type of attitude. This third question that they asked revealed that they had a lack of gratitude for God's goodness. It's, it's amazing. It's astonishing that this is after they have been returned to their homeland from exile. When you read the book of Lamentations in the Old Testament, it's a book of sorrow, of lament, of crying and weeping. And all they're weeping for is to be led out of captivity. They long for the day to return to their homeland. And God grants them this request. Again, out of his mercy, 
He grants them this request. He takes them back to their homeland. He allows for them to restore the walls of the city. They rebuild the inner city. And they build a temple unto the Lord. They begin this mighty construction project that is finished in a miraculous 51 days. The, the way that the Lord orchestrates the rebuilding of the city is, is astonishing. And they come to the Lord and say, what have you even done for us lately? How quickly we forget what the Lord saved us from. How quickly we forget where we should have been. How quickly we forget that if it was only because of our own decisions, the track, the trajectory of our life, where it would have led us, we quickly forget how good God has been to us. And they have this attitude saying, what has he done for us? What, how has it benefited us in returning to him? What has he done for us? Now that Nehemiah has built everything and they're now living in the city. If you've been serving the Lord for a while, we can easily fall into this routine where, yes, this is what I do. I go to church every Sunday and that's great. This is where you should be. Congratulations. You're in the house of God. This is where you should be. And I'll see you here on Thursday for our midweek Bible study as well. This is where we belong. We gather here with the saints. We celebrate the goodness of God. We get into his word and we try to apply that to our daily life. Each and every day we get into, we have a relationship with him. But at, at, at some point... At some point, it's important to remember where God brought me from. See, the enemy wants to come and he wants to throw your past at you. In the sense of, you don't deserve it. Look, you, you're supposed to be out here. What you did in the past, some things people don't even know about. And he wants to take you to the, back, to the past. He wants to take you to focus on that. And to go back to where you used to be. But this is the way the journey with the Lord works. As you're driving your vehicle... If you allow me this illustration, as you're driving your vehicle and you're going down the freeway and you're probably one of those drivers that's going 60 miles an hour in the left lane even though the speed limit is 65. Is that you? I've been trying to figure out who that was. So I'm just throwing that in there like I'm trying to find that person that's in the left lane going so slow. So you're going there and you're traveling down the freeway and, and you have the size of the windshield because you need to focus on your destination. You need to focus on where you're going. You need to pay attention to what you're doing. But you also have this much smaller little mirror that's in front of your windshield. It's not meant for you to focus on that. If you focus on that, you're going to crash and you're not going to make your destination. What is that there for? It's for that you focus on your destination and every now and again, look up at the mirror to remember where you came from and then get your eyes back on the road to remember where you're going. This is how we serve the Lord. You don't focus on the past. You don't try to, you don't allow the enemy to take you back to where you used to be. But every now and again, you just take a glance up to that. You know what I'm talking about. You take a glance up to that mirror and you remember, Lord, I remember where I was. Oh, devil, I remember that you had me. You thought that you had me. You thought you were going to kill me out there. You thought, as a matter of fact, you should have killed me when you had me out there. But now i got places to go. i got a new destination. I'm keeping my eyes on the road. Every now and again, I'm glancing up to give thanks with the heart of gratitude but I got somewhere to be 
The Lord is taking us somewhere. But it's good to remember where you could have been. That allows us to have this heart of gratitude. Even in the face of rejection, the Lord continues to bless his people. You can never have a heart of worship unless you have a heart of gratitude. When we think of where we could have been and when we think of where we used to be, what can we do except give thanks? Thanksgiving is coming up, but we don't, we're children of God. We don't give thanks once a year. We live a thankful and a grateful life. We live a life of worship. We live a life of repentance. Every day I repent. Every day I worship. And every day I have a heart of gratitude for the goodness of God. Because the songwriter said, because when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, my heart cries out, hallelujah, praise God, thank God for saving me. When I think of the goodness of Jesus, all I can do is give him thanks for what he's done for me. He saved me. He restored me. He healed me. He delivered me. He comforts me. He blesses me. He chose me. And he is still keeping me. He continues to keep me in his grace. He shed his blood on Calvary at that cross for me. He took the nails on his hands and the nails on his feet. The crown of thorns and the spear to his side. The least I can do is have a heart of gratitude. And in case you didn't know, he is still able to heal the sick. He's still able to deliver those in bondage. He can still deliver you from the enemy. He still makes a way when there's no way. He can still do the impossible. He is a never-changing God. He's the unchanging God. He's still the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper. And the light in your darkness, if you let him, he never changes. Like the Lord called me a long time ago, and I didn't, I didn't hear his call. Is it too late for me? Has he rescinded his invitation? He never changes. I was supposed to give my life to him when I was younger and I didn't do it. It's too late now. I don't think he wants, he never changes. The blood he shed on Calvary that had power then continues to have power now. He never changes. I need to have a heart of gratitude for him. Listen to what the writer said in 1 Chronicles 16.8. He says, give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know what he has done. Psalm 106.1 says, praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his faithful love endureth forever. And one more for you in Psalms 100 that says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. 
be thankful to Him and bless His name. But why? Because He's good and His mercy endures forever. A heart of gratitude. Lord, give us a heart of gratitude. I want to invite you to stand. This is still the case today. He's still pursuing you. He's still giving you another opportunity to turn your heart towards Him. And if we're honest, I said this a couple weeks ago. You might get into a relationship with someone. And in that relationship, a healthy relationship is one that you give and you receive. We'll always have those types of relationships where you're the giver and, and less of the receiver. But for the most part, with long-term relationships, you want to be in a relationship where you give and you receive. And that creates a, a good balance in your life here. But when it comes to the, our relationship with the Lord, it's, it's not a balanced relationship. What do, what do I mean by this? What I mean is, He's always the pursuer. You know, you, if, if you're married, you have a relationship, you might have a type of relationship where sometimes one person is the one who, who tries to say sorry first. You know, or if you have a, some sort of conflict, you know, with younger couples, I almost, this is, this is probably not good. Younger couples, I almost, almost enjoy the, as they're learning how to navigate. You know, like when I see young parents struggle with their kids, oh, I love it. I love it. See, you have a parent at the restaurant that's like, Shh, stop. And she's like, daddy, throws a fork across it. And they're just humiliated. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Mainly, I enjoy it because I'm not there anymore. <clears throat> if any of my kids throws a fork, he's probably getting arrested. The break. But you have this balance. And so then, then there's this awkwardness of who's going to talk first. You know, and so maybe the wife comes and says, honey, are you hungry? I'm like, all right, all right. That kind of broke the ice right there. Or he's like, hey, I'm going to the store. Do you need me to pick anything up? You don't need anything from the story. You're just trying to find a way to kind of. And so then there's, there's this, like, who's the one the first? Who's the pursuer? You know, in our relationship with the Lord, he's always the pursuer. Because when you don't want him, he still wants you. And, and, and when you walk away from him, he still pursues you. And when you say that you want nothing to do with him, he continues to show himself in your life. When you want to shut the door on him and say, enough, I can't do this anymore, he continues to remind you of his goodness. This has never been an even balanced relationship. It's always been that I love him because he loved me first. It's always been that I worship him, but only because he has rescued me from damnation and hell. 
I serve him not because there's something good in me but only because he has shown me his goodness first it's always been about him it's always been about his love for me it's always been about him chasing me down and it's only been about my response to his call it's never been equal it's always been him and so today I make this invitation to you he's calling you he's pursuing you he's chasing you down not chasing you down because he wants something from you he's chasing you down because he has something for you first if you've never given your life to the Lord this is for you now he's not asking you to do something first for people say you know what take the first step he already took the first step if you don't believe me just think of this two weeks ago when you were hanging out at the club you're getting drunk all over again and you had one another he was already making the plans for you to be here today He's always been the pursuer. You might think, well, I don't have it all together. I'm just a sinner. I'm just broken. I told you at the very beginning. That's the only qualification for his mercy. That's the first invitation. If you've never given your life completely over to Jesus, if you've never been baptized in the wonderful, powerful, unmatched, mighty name of Jesus Christ, this church will baptize you in Jesus' name for the remission and forgiveness of your sins, and you'll be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I want this for you. I want you to accept this invitation. But this is also an invitation for those of us who have been serving the Lord for a long time. And we feel like we have it all together. I'm there. I get to do this and I get to do that because I've earned that. I've been in that church for 15 years. This person is just coming in. wasn't even born yet by the time I was handling this business. That's a dangerous place to be. Because when you start thinking you're here because you have it all together, well, I don't sin like that person. That's why I'm blessed. Well, I pay this and I give that and I volunteer my time. That's why I'm blessed here. When you begin to think this way, it's dangerous. Because the Lord's saying, return to me. You're like, God, I never, I never left. I've been here this whole time. And the Lord says, no, return to me. Give me your heart once again the way I had it before. You remember how you used to weep when you used to think about the blood on the cross? You remember how you used to move you when you would remember the nails on his hands? When you would picture the crown of thorns on his head? I haven't spent too much time at church for that to not mean something to me. That when he took this, this spear on his side, the agony that he went through, and he had you and me on his mind. That leads me to have a heart of repentance. It, it takes me to the next step of having a heart of worship. You can't have a heart of worship before a heart of repentance. Redemption will always precede praise. 
you have a heart of repentance leads you to a heart of worship and in that moment of worship it gives you a heart of gratitude for what he's done for you so I want to invite you if you want to have this heart to come he's already the one pursuing so you just come to accept and say Jesus this is what I want